That happens best when you've got some other people around you that you can go through life with, that you can tell your story to, that they can help you understand God's story and how your story fits into it. Um, so we, we absolutely believe uh, that you need to be in a life group. You need to be in a support recovery group. You need to be in some kind of mentoring or accountability relationship so that God can help you figure out uh, what it means to follow him and, and to do that on a regular basis. After the service, you'll have a chance to go back out and do that again. When you do that, let me just encourage you to do a couple things. Um, before you go out and talk to the people at the tables, pray. Just say, God, where, where do you want me? Who do you want me to be in a group with? And, um, and then trust that he'll answer that prayer, that he'll kind of talk you through that. Then go out and just talk to everybody. Eat lots of donuts. Um, talk to everybody. And find somebody that you feel like you've got some kind of connection to. It may be that they're in the same geographical region. It may be that they live, they're in St. John's too, or Langsburg, or DeWitt, or Lansing, or wherever. Um, it may be that, that they're at the same time of life as you are, that, that you know, oh, you both have kids that are fourth graders or whatever. It may be that, um, that, that, uh, that they've got a free night, the same night that you have, and that'd be a good time to, to connect to a group. But, but pay attention to just those connections and let the Holy Spirit kind of guide you so that you can say yes. It may be that, that you go through the whole process and you say, yeah, I, I think I want to be in a life group, but I but there wasn't really any connection. We've got a table for you too. Um, it's got a table with question marks on it and, and just go there and say, you know, I don't know what group I should be in. Help me, uh, fill that out. And that'll be a cool thing because if you don't, it's cold out there, right? Though the wind's going to blow, the snow's going to come. It's cold out there alone. The last two weeks we've talked about, um, Healing and forgiveness, right? Uh, most people have been here for the last, the last several weeks. Healing and forgiveness. And uh, last week we talked, uh, well, we, we talked with each of those weeks that sometimes we need healing. Um, and, and it starts as simple as, as, um, as Jesus saying, do you want to get well? And for us, just wrestling with that question, do we really want to get well? Because we know that if we get well, if we are healed, Physically, if we're healed emotionally, if we're healed spiritually, that's going to involve big change in our lives. So there's that question. Do you want to get well? Um, and and God then begins to do work in us. We talked about forgiveness, too, and that that we're all in desperate need of forgiveness. Right. We need to be forgiven by God because we've separated ourselves from him and we need his forgiveness. And we need to give forgiveness to lots of people in our life. There's lots of us that have been holding on to things, holding on to past offenses, and just not let go. And we need to forgive as well. We talked a little bit last week that, that those two things are kind of tied together in a weird way. That it's not clean, but there's a sense in which sometimes we need to, uh, to experience healing in, able, in order to be able to forgive, Right? And sometimes we need to forgive in order to be able to experience healing. Those two things are woven together. Today I wanna, I, we're going to finish this series, this Inside Out series, where we're talking about stuff that's inside us that needs to get out um, and, and uh, talk about one last topic that I think is tied into healing and forgiveness. It's the, it's the concept of grace, this, the, the word grace. Um, 
You know, what, what is grace? Grace is not a word. I, we use it some, but we don't really think a lot about the meaning. We know the song, right? Amazing grace. Hear the bagpipes going, the whole, whole deal. We know that piece. It's, I think it's familiar for most people that if you're around religious people, they say, oh, let's say grace before meals. And that means that they're going to pray, although that seems like a funny phrase, right? Why don't we just say grace and you don't have little kids anymore, right? Uh, are you there? Oh, here we go. Uh, we understand what that's about. I'm dying up here. Thank you, Jason, for just laughing a little bit. Um, sometimes for some of us, grace, grace is a name associated with a person, right? There's a woman or a child named Grace, and, and that's the connection for us. Um, sometimes we talk about Grace, and it's, it has to do with like a dancer or somebody with very fluid movements. We have Grace, right? We act with Grace. Thank you. Thank you. Wherever that case. Yeah, yeah thanks. Appreciate that. And sometimes we talk about it as, a, as kind of a thing of honor, that, um, oh, they grace us with their presence, right? Um, what is biblical grace? The, this concept of grace, when the Bible talks about it, what's it, what's it mean? The, the kind of the classic definition for grace is that it is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Um, what that means is that that's something that we don't deserve ever. That it comes to us not because of anything that we've done, not because we're such great people, not because we've earned it. It's unmerited favor. God shows his grace to us, not because we're so great, but because he's so great. Um, that it's, it's critical to, to understand that, that it's, not, it's something that we receive, but it's not anything that we deserve or earn. Grace is on display when a high-level athlete who's earned a right on the Olympic team gives up his place on the Olympic team because he's been to the Olympics before and allows a person who didn't qualify to take his place because they haven't been able to experience the Olympics. That's, that's a decision that's, that's done with grace as they gracefully allow this other person to come into their place. John Newton was a sea captain who wrote the poem, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. John Newton understood, he got what grace was all about. Um, He described grace as the goodness of God that came to him even though he didn't deserve it at all. Newton was a captain for a ship that, 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 um, that went to Africa and captured Negroes uh, and brought them back and sold them into slavery in, in the U.S., in the Americas. Newton understood that, that, um, that what he did was despicable, that it, was, um, that it separated him from God, that it didn't reflect God's nature at all. And in the midst of his um, uh, unloveliness, in the midst of all of the sin, of all the things that he had done, that God reached out and saved him before Newton uh, really had responded. God, God's grace was working to protect him. Uh, I, remember, I remember learning in a class in college an acrostic that described grace. It said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. See the, the grace that's there? 
God's riches at Christ's expense, that, that we receive the riches of God, not because of anything good that we've done, but all because of Jesus. Uh, that, that grace allows us to, to have this incredible sense of being embraced by God, of being welcomed as his sons and daughters, not because we're worthy, but because, but because Jesus gave everything up to allow us to experience that change. Jesus paid the price. God, God's riches at Christ's expense. Last week we talked about the reality that, that we are not good people. That there's no one good except God. That, that we are desperately in need of forgiveness. And that Jesus, by going to the cross, by being humiliated, by being brutally tortured by ultimately being killed, that Jesus made a way for forgiveness to happen, for us to receive grace. Uh, Understand that grace is not just forgiveness. Grace is forgiveness plus. If you're making notes, write that down. Grace is forgiveness plus. Forgiveness plus restoration. It would be enough for God to just forgive us, right? To not punish us. But it's forgiveness plus restoration. We're restored back into a right relationship with him. It's forgiveness plus a place of honor. God doesn't just forgive us. He sets us at his throne. Forgiveness plus a place of honor. Forgiveness plus being welcomed onto the lap of God. Picture when you were a kid and you would climb into the easy chair on your dad's lap and he'd put his arms around you. How terrific. That's the picture of what grace is for us. It's forgiveness plus being welcomed into God's lap. Forgiveness plus joy and peace and hope. If we were just forgiven, that would be far more than we deserve. But to be forgiven and welcomed back, welcomed back into the family of God, that's, that's grace. It's, it's being given a brand new car, a new house being thrown a fabulous wedding, being celebrated as a son or a daughter, all after destroying everything, after turning our backs on God, after arrogantly proclaiming that we could make it on our own, thank you very much, and shunning God. That's the picture of grace. If you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, take one out from the, from the back of the pew in front of you. It's going to be on screen as well. But I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Because Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and, and he describes grace um, in, in words that, that help clarify what we're talking about this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's so critical when we're talking about grace this morning to understand that grace is not cheap. There's always a price for grace. There's a price for the grace that we've received. There's a price if we show grace to others. Grace will always look foolish to some. Grace will always be second-guessed by some. Because there can be no grace without justice. Grace is predicated on the fact that there is justice, that sin matters. We talk about grace as being unmerited favor. Understand that there is, uh, grace can't mean anything unless there is merited judgment. We sin and there's a punishment for that sin. We separate ourselves from God. That's the result of what happens as we sin. And that grace doesn't mean anything without the reality of eternity, eternal punishment. That grace is what saves us from that. Grace is a gift that's freely given by God because of what Jesus did. But that gift has to be received. It has to be opened. It has to be embraced. It has to be, um, become a part of our lives. You know, I, th- I think this, the, the clearest example of grace in the, in the life and, and teaching of Jesus was when the religious leaders tried to trap him, right? And they, and, and they set him up. They actually set up a woman who they caught in the act of adultery. So she's caught in the act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus and they, and they say to him, hey, the, Moses said that a woman caught in the act of adultery should be stoned, should be killed, executed. What do you say? And Jesus knelt down and wrote in the dirt. And then he said, and then he said to to the religious leaders who were there, you know what? If you've never sinned, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And And the scripture says that the religious leaders, the oldest ones first, began to put down their stones and walk away. When this hostile mob that had brought this woman to Jesus to trap him is completely dispersed, Jesus turns and looks at her and says, Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, They're not here anymore. Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go. Don't sin anymore. What an act of grace for a woman who the law, the Mosaic law had said, she should be stoned, she should be executed. For Jesus to say, I forgive you too. What, what a tremendous picture of grace in Jesus. Listen to these words from the message. The message is not a translation from the original language. The message is actually um, looking at the English and trying to make it make sense for us in everyday words, but to, but to keep the meaning of the text for us. Listen to the message Um, beginning in verse 1 of of chapter 2 of Ephesians. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. 
We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and he set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea. It's all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the work that God created for us to do involves showing grace to the people all around us. It involves living lives of grace in a world that's usually not very grace-filled. When we've experienced healing, when we've experienced forgiveness, when we've experienced grace from God, it should be a no-brainer that our lives should be characterized by grace. But that's not always the way it is, is it? I remember a number of years ago, I was at a training for life group leaders. Um, it, was a, it was a big conference seminar kind of thing. And I remember the guy talking and talking about people that would be in your life and people that would be in your life group. He said, in your life group, there's going to be people that want to talk a lot. And there are going to be people that don't want to talk at all. There'll be people that, that know a lot about Scripture and want to show off their knowledge. And there'll be people that, that have never even picked up a Bible before in your group. There will be people that, that are there that, that are just thrilled to be there. And there will be people there that were dragged by their husband or wife, right? That are, that are there but don't really want to be. There's going to be all kinds of people in your group. And, and one of the things that you'll find is that there will be people in your group who are EGRs. I remember thinking... Edgar, what's an EGR? And he said, there will be people in your group for whom they, for whom extra grace will be required. You know those people, right? Those people that are in your life that just know what buttons to push. They know what strings to pull. They just demand extra grace in your life. Um, Understand this, God allows those people to be in our lives for our benefit so that we have the chance to demonstrate the grace that he has shown us so that we can be refined by them so that we cannot live in our comfort zone all the time. Um, you may be thinking, you know, I hear that, but I actually, I've got a pretty good life. I, you know, I, 
I wouldn't say anybody in my family is really an EGR. And the people I work with are great people. The, my neighbors are good. My, my life's, I, I don't know that I really have any bad relationships like that. If that's the case, you are the EGR. <laughs> You're the person. More specifically, we all are EGRs. We will always be an EGR for someone. And when you get right down to it, we are God's EGRs, right? We required the extra grace of God. There will be people that are, that it's always, that that have difficult time loving you and that you're the EGR. You may be too happy or too sad for them. You may be too optimistic or too pessimistic or depressed. Maybe that, that you see the big picture too much. Or it may be that you live down in the details of life all the time and, and that you just drive them crazy. There will always be people for which we are an EGR. Uh, we understand that we need to extend grace to people. And, and on Sunday morning here, it's easy to think, okay, yeah, I can do that. But you know what? You know what is hard? The world is full of so many aggravating, stupid people, right? Those people that are in our lives that that take that grace. If you've experienced grace, though, if you have experienced the grace of God, receiving that grace compels us. It compels us to show grace. You know, will um, will if we extend grace, will that cause us to not be hurt again? Quite possibly, if we extend grace, that doesn't mean that everything's going to get better. But God extended grace to us and we continue to hurt him, right? Do, do we only extend grace if somebody deserves it? No, because it wouldn't be grace if that were the case. Grace is unmerited favor. It's because it's not deserved that we give grace. Do we give grace only because we, uh, we think that if we extend grace, it will cause them to change? That's not grace, right? That's manipulation. Where is it most difficult to extend grace? To whom for you is it most difficult? It may be your family. It may be that you're at a place, it's really hard to extend grace to your husband or your wife, to your children or to your parents to your aunts or uncles or cousins, those people who are persistent, you can't get them out of your life, right? Maybe that that's who you need to show grace to. And maybe the people that you work with, that you see Monday mornings through Fridays, God calls you to extend grace to them. And maybe your neighbor, the people that you bowl with, people on the lake, certainly it's with other drivers, uh, right? God calls us to extend grace to all kinds of people. You can, you can come up with your own categories. I was meeting with, the, with uh, Richard Whitman, who's speaking downstairs earlier this week. We were talking about this message, and we said, who is it hard for high school kids to show grace to? Well, it depends, right? Um, if, if you're popular, it's hard to show grace to the nerds, to the people who are invisible, uh, the, the people who are the druggies. If you're, if you're one of those people who are on the fringes in high school, who is it hard to show grace to? The people who are popular. Think about that. Think about back to the high school context. Lots of people to show grace to. Those same relationships, those same 
categories of people exist for us as adults, right? There are all kinds of people around us who are invisible. I would encourage you to show grace in incredible ways to the people who are in the fringes of your life, the, the guy at, at, um, at the, the people that wait for you at Bigby, people who work in a convenience store, the people who are the custodians in the buildings where you work, to extend grace to them, not because they deserve it, but because grace by its nature is to extend um, love and compassion to people because they don't deserve it. Um, uh, working on this message this week, I have a, had a phone call on Monday that just hit this home for me. My dad moved into an independent living facility this last week in Cincinnati. Uh, he had lived with us for a while. He's in, in Cincinnati, close to my two sisters now. So I'm, I take care of the finances for him. So I called to cancel his Dish Network uh, account. Go through the process, cancel everything. The lady on the line, the service personnel person says, okay, great, we got your account canceled. You have a $27 uh, credit on your account. Um, you need to call back tomorrow to get that money. And I said, wait a second, I don't understand. The account's canceled. She said, that's right. I said, and there's a $27 credit on my account. She said, that's right. But you can't send it to me today. That's right. I said, let me understand, help me understand this a little bit more. You owe me money, but you were not going to give it to me today, even though my account's canceled. She said, that's right. You have to wait 24 hours to get it, to, to, and you have to request it. So I have to call back tomorrow to request this money. That's right. Service people on the phone, they're my EGRs in spades. <laughs> Because I, I just don't understand how that whole process works. For all of us, we've got those people in our lives that we need to extend grace to. But understand this, that when we extend grace, it is the fragrance of God in the world around us. When we extend grace, it, it demonstrates, it leaves the fingerprints of God all around us. When we extend grace, it shows the world who God is. Tony Campolo is Professor Emeritus at Eastern University in Pennsylvania. Uh, in his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party, Campolo tells a story about when he was in Hawaii. He had gone from eastern Pennsylvania to Hawaii. His body clock was messed up. 3.30 in the morning, he's wide awake. Um, it's breakfast time for him. He needs to get something to eat. So he talks about leaving his hotel in search of a restaurant. Campolo says this, up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of those stools at the counter and waited to be served. This was one of those sleazy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I didn't even touch the menu. I was afraid that if I opened the thing, something gruesome would crawl out. But it was the only place I could find. The fat guy behind the counter came over and asked me, what do you want? I said, I wanted a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron. Then he grabbed a donut off the shelf behind him. I'm a realist. I know that in the back room of that restaurant, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked around. But when everything is out front where I could see it, I really would have appreciated it if, I, if he had used a pair of tongs and placed the donut on some wax paper. As I sat there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning... The door of the diner swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine 
provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard a woman beside me say, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone, So what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I I was just telling you it was my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, Campolo says, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. Then I called over the fat guy behind the counter, and I asked him, Do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, Does she come in here every night? Yeah, he said. That's Agnes. She comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say tomorrow's her birthday, I told him. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? A cute smile slowly crossed his chubby cheeks, and he answered with measured delight. That's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back room, he shouted, Hey, come here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday. The guy wants, to go in with, uh, wants us to go in with him and throw a party for her right here, tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room all bright and smiley. She said, That's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who's really nice and kind, and nobody does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I told them, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. Uh, The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and had made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu (laughs) was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the affair. And when they came in, we all screamed, Happy Birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. As we came to the end of our singing with happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes, come on. Blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And after an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her, Got the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. 
Agnes looked down at the cake. Then without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, Look, Harry, is it all right with you if... I mean, is it, is it okay if I... What I want to ask you is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and answered, Sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off the, off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, walked slowly toward the door. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like it was the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment. And then he almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. That's a picture of grace. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. And that's the picture of what God has done for us. Totally undeserved totally beyond anything we could ask or imagine. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we had cleaned ourselves up, not after we had made everything right, while we were still sinners, while we were still judged, while we were still condemned, while, still, while we were still openly fighting God, Jesus died for us. Is that incredible or what listen to the, listen to Romans chapter 5 from the message again uh, Paul is talking about, about the power of the law to convict of sin he says this all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace when it's sin versus grace grace wins hands down all sin can do is threaten us with death. And that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. The most incredible thing is going to happen in the next few minutes. We're going to share in Brianna Bonin's baptism. It is the picture of God's grace at work.
Uh, Romans 6 describes baptism as a person being united in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Old person passed away, new person come to life. Um, Brianna's story's great, incredible. Uh, just several weeks ago, God reached out and loved her in a way that, that, that she experienced that grace. Take a look, look up on screen as she tells that story. Hi, my name is Brianna Bonin, and this is my story. I always like I always believed in God and grew up having a feeling like no, like there's a heaven, there's a hell, right from wrong, and I just never felt never felt His Spirit until the night when I was alone in my room. At the end of August of this year, I lost my grandfather, and. I was at a really low place and everything kind of felt like it was just falling apart and a few other things happened and I was just in my room and I just felt like it was the end and I just fell on my knees and cried and prayed and I felt as if God was in the room with me bringing me up and telling me that everything was going to be okay and that I can get through it and that I'm strong and everything's going to be fine. As I was laying on the floor I just I started talking to him like he was right next to me and asking him, like, can you please help me? Like, I know I'm stronger. I need help. Like, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to think this way. And I just ended up getting up, and I had a friend's Bible, and I was reading that, and I just started crying, and my cousin sent me some links to some songs, and I just started listening to him and was talking about how we all sin, and it's okay, and God's going to forgive us, and he always will, and I just, I can't explain it, there's just a feeling of like, a weight lifted off of my shoulders. I think that I am different from how I was a few weeks ago, just, I look at life in a different way, and people at work say, oh, you, you seem happy, you have good vibes, and I'm just trying to spread the word, and I'm telling everyone's asking, like, what are you doing different? Like, you seem okay. And I'm just saying, I'm giving my life to God. This is Rihanna. And this is a pretty incredible moment. We've talked, and she absolutely believes that, that Jesus is God's son, that he died for her, that he's given her that grace that she can experience. Brianna, I just want you to just repeat those words after me. These are words that Jesus um, asked a question to his disciples. Uh, he said to them, who do people say I am? And some people said, oh, we think you're Elijah or John the Baptist. Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said that you're the Messiah, you're God's son. So I just want you to, to repeat that. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The son of God. The son of God. Based on that, on that confession, Brianna, you're being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.
God, we are so grateful for the grace that you show us and the grace that you've um, demonstrated today. God, for the grace that you've given to Brianna. Lord, we ask that you would watch over her, that you would cover her, that you would protect her, you would help her grow deep and strong as she follows you, as she follows Jesus. God, thank you that we could experience this moment today, that we could, um, that we could see Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection lived out in the water here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, yeah. here, here's, here's the situation.